Guys, we have been progressing through this series on our Heavenly Father, where we've been really trying to get to know our Heavenly Father, but also what it means then to be His child and understand what it means to be sons and daughters. And the last few weeks, we've been looking at how we can even approach the Father. Because remember, we, we can't just approach Him. There has to be a protocol. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And Jesus made that possible. And then last week, we talked about what may be some hindrances in our own life that prevent us from approaching the Father, whether it be how our earthly father was, how we filter our Heavenly Father through our earthly father's lenses, and also how we've just picked up this emotional baggage, these ideas about God that are wrong, living in this, uh, you know, this evil world. And hopefully, we're able to put those things aside so that we can really truly approach our, our Heavenly Father and engage in this relationship. Guys, we cannot afford to have things interfere with our relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's what eternal life is. Amen? Okay. Now, I don't know about you guys, but the more and more I think about this, and I'm trying to unpack this series, as simple, uh, these truths are so simple. It seems like they're just ultra-simplicity. It is because we've heard it a thousand times. We've said it a thousand times. But the awesome truth is, is that God, the Most High God desires to have a father-child relationship with, with us. This should literally blow our minds. Like, for instance, look at this verse in 2 Corinthians. This verse, every time we read it, should blow our minds. It says, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and my daughters. Says who? The Lord God Almighty. That's who says that. And you might be going, well, Luke, big deal, that's old news. Heard that before. Okay, maybe, but do we grasp it? Do, do we take that in? Do we apprehend that truth in our lives? Do we see how powerful of a statement that is? Do, do we see what God is saying right here? The Lord Almighty is saying. He's declaring that He wants and He desires to be a Father to us. And why so? I don't care how many times you hear this, this simple yet profound truth should blow our minds every time we see it. Because it's amazing. And maybe it's just me. When I read this because my name is Luke, it's like I hear God the Father saying, Luke, I am your father. That's what I hear. So it makes it even more awesome. I actually have that written in the margin of my Bible. Luke, I'm your father. But the Lord Almighty is not only declaring that He is our Father, but that we are His sons and daughters. And, and those two very powerful statements we need to cling to. Um, please don't just let them slip by. We, we need to let them sink in. We need to dwell on them. We need to soak them up because they're nourishing to our souls. All right, a couple weeks ago we talked about the whole being born again, born of God, where our spirits are regenerated, made alive again. And this new birth happens in our spirits, and our spirits are literally infused with the very life of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God comes in, and He takes up residence in us, He dwells in us, and this Holy Spirit is literally the new life that we now live and operate from. And because the Holy Spirit regenerates our spirit, we now, once again, can be in a relationship with God, who happens to be spirit, we can be connected with Him. And that, this, this is an amazing 
spiritual truth that happens when we place our trust in Jesus Christ. And, and we've been talking about that over the last couple of weeks. But today I want to show a different side of this whole relationship that Scripture makes note of. And I think it's a very powerful picture for us to see. Another beautiful truth of us being sons and daughters of God in which the Holy Spirit plays a role. Okay? So I want to have you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. If you have a Bible, turn there because this is an incredibly powerful passage. You need to highlight it, underline it, whatever you do, circle it because this is a, a verse that should be highlighted in your Bible. Romans chapter 8, we're going to start at verse 15. I'll read it to you. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share also in his glory. Now, these three verses, guys, they're so packed with so many truths, we don't have time to cover them all today. But we do need to understand them um, because they are so important to our Christian life. First of all, Paul says this. He says, the spirit that you've received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Now, what is Paul talking about here? What is he referring to? Well, to understand this, we need to understand that Paul is using an analogy here for us to gain a deeper understanding of this relationship that we have with our Father. And this analogy that he's comparing our relationship with the Father is, is with, with Roman adoption. Okay? Now, adoption was not a Jewish in the Jewish culture. It was something that was in the Roman culture. And it comes in the book of Romans. It's written to Gentiles there. Galatians, it mentions it. It's written to Gentiles there. But not sure if you knew this or not, but in Roman law... The father of a family had complete control over his family. Absolute authority. I mean, he was the reigning king of his family. Uh, the fancy term for that in Rome was the patria potestas. That's what they called it. In other words, he had the same rights over his children as he would over his slaves. Okay? In other words, a son and a slave basically had equal standing before the father. Uh, literally a, a legal born son, he was the same as a slave. Because he, he couldn't even own property. A son couldn't open property. Um, not only that, but the father had the right under this patria potestas to inflict the punishment that he saw fit on his children. He even had the right to inflict the death penalty. Like if he thought, you know what, son, I'm putting you down, he could do that. He had the right to do that. He, the law gave him that ability. He could even sell his children into slavery if he wanted to. So you need to understand a father had absolute right, and the child was literally like a slave. So being a son in the Roman world really didn't mean a whole lot. I mean, you were basically a slave, and honestly, it was a very fearful place to live because you had no rights, you had no protection, no inheritance, you had nothing. You lived under the whim of a father who hopefully was a good guy, or you might have some real troubles on, on, you know, in your world because basically he would be a slave master. Okay? Does everybody get that? All right. Now, to refer back to the spiritual analogy that Paul is making, remember, because of sin, we were spiritually dead, which means we were born with a sin nature. And what I mean by that, just so you can kind of wrap your head around it, is that our nature, when we were born was that we had this disposition to sin. 
Okay, we were inclined to sin. For instance, those of you who are parents, when your children were born, did you have to teach them how to be selfish? Did you have to teach your little baby to go, mine? No, he did it naturally. Did you have to teach your kid to be dishonest? No. Came did you have to teach your kid to throw temper tantrums? No. It just came naturally. Why? Because we were born spiritually dead and with a sin nature. That sin nature, all the way from Adam and Eve, when they sin, has been passed down through humanity. So sinning comes naturally for us. And therefore, because we sin, tell me, what is the penalty of that sin? It's death, exactly. For the wages of sin, the penalty of sin, is death. Because we sin, we are committed to the death penalty. The penalty of sin is death. And the next thing, you know, not only are we spiritually dead, but we're slaves to sin. Because the penalty of sin is death, and the only way that we can be free of sin is to die. Sin has a legal chokehold over us. You've sinned, you have to die. And while you're slaves to sin, with the sinful nature, with this disposition to sin, we're just going to go on sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning because that's who we are and there isn't anything we can do about it. We're slaves to it. It's our nature. Sin is our master and we are its slave. And death is the only thing that can free us from it. It's a terrible prison. We, we're literally held as slaves in the kingdom of darkness, separated from our creator, God, because sin has this legal hold on us. And honestly, if you think about it for any length of time, it's a terrifying place to dwell. Being a slave to sin is a fearful place to live, just like that poor Roman son or daughter. But Paul is now saying in Romans 6.23, to finish that verse, for the wages of sin is death, but... But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, you read that and you go, well, now how in the world does this work? How are we able to suddenly have this eternal life, getting to know the Father and getting to know Jesus, when we're slaves to sin and only have death to look forward to? How is it possible to be rescued from this legal chokehold that sin has on us if death is the only way out? How does that work? Well, guys, I'm just going to say, that's the brilliance of God. God the Father loved you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to this earth. That's what we just celebrated, remembering. And Jesus lived a holy, righteous life, completely obedient to his Father. And then out of obedience to the Father, Jesus went to the cross, and he was crucified on that cross. Now, why in the world did Jesus have to die on that cross? Well, let's get one thing straight. He didn't have to die. He did it willingly. Okay? But he did it. And let's look at why he did it. Let me read this passage to you. And this is a passage I will often use in Baptism Sunday. It's Romans chapter 6. So if you back up a couple chapters, Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Paul says this, Or don't you know? That all of us who were baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, what are those verses saying? It's really pretty simple, but they're amazing truths. What that verse is saying is, first you need to understand what baptism is. To be baptized means to be immersed into 
And Paul's saying, don't you realize that we have been immersed into Jesus Christ? We've been immersed into him, baptized into him. So therefore, there's that word called identification that whatever is true of Jesus is true of us. So help me out, second service. If we've been baptized into Christ and Jesus died on that cross, then what's true of us? We died on that cross. And if Jesus was buried, what's true of us? We were buried. And if Jesus was risen to new life by the glory of the Father, what's true of us? We've been given this new life. Now, put that on. Think about that. Ponder that. Let that soak in. And let me ask you a question real quick. If Satan were to stand before you and say, Sorry, buddy. You belong to the kingdom of darkness because you have sinned. And the legal binding law is if you have sinned, then you must die. So, sorry. You are my slave until you die. You're a slave to sin until you pay the penalty of death. Let's say that Satan were to say that to you. Tell me, how could you respond? Awesome. If Satan were to say, no, sorry, you, because you sin, you have to pay for it with death, what could you tell Satan? I already died. You see, I was baptized into Christ. And if Christ died, I died. So guess what, Satan? I've already paid that price because Jesus paid for me on the, Christ, on the cross. And I was baptized into him. So sorry, I am set free from that legal binding hold. Amen? Amen? Isn't that cool? We have already died because we were baptized into Jesus and therefore baptized into his death. In other words, I died on that cross with Jesus. I paid that debt of death because I died with him. I was baptized into his death, not only into his death, but also to his burial and his resurrection. I now live as a free man. I'm no longer a slave to sin. That penalty of death has been paid for by Jesus. Praise God. I have a completely brand new life because I now belong to the Father. The Spirit of God literally dwells in me. His DNA is in me. So do you see how that works? Do you see the brilliant plan of God in all this? It's amazing. So back to our original passage. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. What is Paul saying? He said, listen, yes, you've been rescued from that and you've been made now sons of God, but it doesn't make you, you're not once again a slave, so you have to be living in fear now. I'm in a different location. I'm a free man, but I have to live in fear. No. And he goes on to say this. Rather, the spirit you received brought your adoption to what? Sonship. Not slavery, sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. What is Paul saying here? Well, let's go back to the Roman adoption. As I said earlier, a Roman father had complete authority over his family. A legal-born blood son had no right to property or anything. They were the same as slaves. It was this fearful place to live. But in the Roman law, listen to this, in the Roman law, if a child was adopted, changed everything. Literally changed everything. Now, why would people adopt? Because let's say you grew up, you lived in the Roman times there, and you had a bunch of daughters. No one would live on the, you know, the family name. 
or you would have nobody to take the inheritance. There was a bunch of reasons. Maybe you had sons that died. And so you would literally adopt. You could choose someone who would carry on your name to carry on your inheritance, and you would adopt that person to be your son. Um, Sorry, ladies. There wasn't a lot of women that were adopted back in the day. It was mainly all about sons. So Paul is using this analogy here. Okay? Now, this procedure or this act legal act was very expensive. So it just happened in kind of the elite circles of the Roman Empire. But if you look at it this way, if you had children, you got what you got whether you liked them or not. Okay? When you adopted, you chose who you would want to be your son. You were chosen. Now, when a person was adopted, the person doing the adopting adoption would have to pay a heavy price. And there was this big ceremony that they'd do. The, you know, we don't have to go into the details about that. But when the price was pray, paid, the adoption released the person from being adopted, the, released the person who's being adopted from all the debts in their life. It literally wiped everything away about that person's past and gave him a brand new identity. He was regarded as a new person entering a new life in which the past had no part. He was a completely brand new person. Now, this process, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, was called capitas diminutio. I don't know how to speak Roman. But the past was wiped away. And forgotten, and the new life was placed before him. And for that person, four things happened. Four amazing changes happened. First of all, it was a change of family. This adopted person was transferred from his old family into another family, a brand new family. The old family was no longer part of his identity. The old was let go of, and the new family and the new identity was placed onto him. Okay? So a change of family, but also a change of name. The adopted person was given a new name. He took on the name of the adopter. Everything that applied to that new name now applied to him. And guys, you need to see, in the most binding legal way, he got a new father. And everything that applied to his father now applied to him. Not only was it a change of family, change of name, but it was a change of home. Obviously, he was given a new residence to live in with his father. Where his father was, there he would be also. Okay? And lastly, he was given a change of responsibilities and privileges. The person who was adopted now inherited everything that belonged to his new father. Everything that belonged to the father was now his. He was part of the inheritance. He was joint heirs with any other true sons or daughters. And guys, here's the truth. This could not be taken away from him. The process of adoption was permanent. By law, that person had solid, a solid foundation, a solid permanence or position in that family. A father could no longer treat him as a slave. A father no longer had absolute authority over him. It was just he was now son. He was a true son. And as a son, he now went about the family's business, doing what the father was doing, taking part in what the father needed to be done. The father's business was his business. And he'd pour himself into that activity. He was no longer concerned himself with what he did in his old life. He now concerned himself with what his new father desired. Now something that's really cool to consider with this Roman adoption is the fact that there needed to be a witness 
to this legal contract. In fact, in the Roman law, there had to be seven witnesses. Seven witnesses were there, part of it. And when the new father would stand before the courts, he would emphatically say, I claim this man to be my son. I will be a father to him. He will be my son. Now, seven witnesses had to be there to corroborate this. Kind of like in a wedding, you know how you have those people stand up? They're the witnesses. So when, they had to have seven witnesses there. So when this new father, if he ever died, and this adopted person's sonship was ever in question, one of the seven witnesses could step forward to the court and say, yeah, I was there. I, I was present at that ceremony. It was I who held the scales in the ceremony. I, it was an adoption. I heard the words of vindication, and I declare that this person was claimed by this deceased man, not as a slave, but as a son. And those witnesses verified that this whole thing was true and legit. Now, this entire ceremony was put into written form. It was called the Praetorian Will. And it was fastened with the seals of the seven witnesses. The, this, the seven witnesses would place their seal on it. And this will, or this proof of transaction, was sealed by that. For if it ever came into question, they had this as proof. Now, why do I share all this? Here's why. Paul is using this analogy because it's a powerful picture of our new relationship with our Heavenly Father. Remember, Paul says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, no, the spirit you receive brought your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. Guys, listen to me. We're no longer slaves. We are sons and daughters. Our, our past is forgotten. Our old life, it's been done away with. God the Father paid an immense price for your adoption. And that price is the very blood of His Son, Jesus. You were purchased and given a brand new life. And I know some of us sitting here today, we can't seem to let go of that old life. We're just like, well, we stand before God and we're, we're kind of like this. I don't know, let me look for an analogy here. We're, we're kind of like this. We sit here and we come to the Father and we're like... God, I'm sorry, I just, I was such a horrible, I had a horrible life. And, and God's like, set that down. Your old life is forgotten. I know, I know you say that, but it was horrible. I mean, it was just terrible. And I don't know, I don't know, I don't deserve to be your son. I don't deserve to be your daughter because of my old life. And I just got this here, I got all the marks of it. And, and God is saying, set it down. It's forgotten. I'm giving you a new life. And you're like, I don't know. And God finally gets it and goes, set it down. Come with me. Did that blow up? I'm sorry, guys. He, he throws it away and says, come with me. I'm giving you a new life. Amen? A new life. Your old life's wiped away. You're a brand new creation. Placed into a brand new family. Our debt has been paid. No more death penalty hanging over our head. That death penalty has been paid. You died with Christ. You've also been risen with Christ, which means you have a brand new identity, a new life, a new beginning. You've been given this new family, and guess what? That family is the family of God. That's your new identity. And with that family comes a brand new name. Your old name is forgotten and done away with. You've been given new ones. You know what? You used to be called sinners. Not anymore. Guess what you're called? Saints. Your saints. Your holy ones. You used to be called 
slaves to sin. Not anymore. You're called sons and daughters of the Most High God. You used to be called prisoners of darkness. Not anymore. You're children of light. You've been given a new name. And guys, let me tell you something. When you get a new name, you are given a whole new life. Because that, that new name imparts a brand new identity to you. We've also been given a new home. Guys, our citizenship is no longer in this, this world. Where is it? It's in heaven. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for me so that where I am, you may be also. Guys, we are going to live with our Father for eternity. Our home is with our Father. Not this evil world any longer. We've been also been given new responsibilities and privileges we no longer have to sin we we don't have this old sin nature we can live in righteousness we can walk in holiness we're not chained to this life of darkness anymore we don't have that that nature we, we've been given a whole brand new one and in a new way of living we now plug into what we see our father doing we join him in it what he loves man we need to love what he does, we do. What he wants done in heaven, we do on earth. We involve ourselves in his kingdom, his activity on earth as it is in heaven. And let me tell you, as sons and daughters of the Most High God, we inherit all the blessings of heaven. They're ours. Amen? We are co-heirs with Christ. Think about that just for a second. Everything Jesus has, we have. We're co-heirs. He is a true son. We are true sons and daughters. He's our brother. And why? Because God adopted you. He chose you. He wanted you. And now you belong to him. And you know, the, the Spirit of God that, that dwells in us, that works in us, He works in such a way in our hearts, in our spirits, to cause us to approach our new Father, not as this, oh boy, I don't know if I like being around Him. No, we approach Him as, what does that verse say? Abba, Father. Which Abba just means Dad. Some of you like to say Daddy. We approach the Most High God as dad, we can call the creator of this universe dad. And guess what? The Holy Spirit within us binds us into a relationship with God the Father in such a way that we approach him as dad. And guess what? Our heavenly father loves that. What father wouldn't? I remember when my kids were little and I had come home from work and I'd walk open the door or... I wouldn't walk open the door. I'd open the door and walk in. And the kids would drop everything and be like, Daddy! And they'd run. They'd come and they'd grab your leg and you're kind of like walking around, you know, where they're touching the legs. And, and it was awesome. They didn't come to me and say, Hello, Mr. Dye. Would you like a beverage and sit down and tell us about your day? No. They, they knew me as Daddy. And they wanted to just love on me. Wish get a little bit of that now. Come home and I'm like, hey buddy. Hey. How was your day? Fine. Did you learn anything? Not really. All right, cool. Great conversation. But our God wants us to approach him as little children. 
as a dad. He desires us to have this interactive relationship with us. He desires us to experience eternal life. That's why he adopted us. And guess what? Just like in the Roman adoption, there had to be witnesses. Well, we also have a witness in this whole adoption, this whole transaction of adoption. And once again, it's the Holy Spirit. He has been given to us as a seal that we are sons and daughters of God. Just like the seven witnesses placed their seal on that praetorian will, well, the Holy Spirit is placed on us as a seal. It's like the Holy Spirit is saying, yep, I was there. I heard the Lord Almighty say to you, I will be your father and you will be my son. You will be my daughter. I claim you as my son. I claim you as my son. I heard those words of vindication. I'm a witness to this. And I declare this son is a son of the God Almighty. I declare this, this woman is a daughter of God Almighty. I'm your witness. Amen? Isn't that awesome? Listen, Whitestone, I want us to understand that this relationship is not just talk. It's not fancy Christian lingo. It's real. God Almighty endured more than we could ever imagine to make this a reality. This is not a gimmick. It's real. And I believe that nothing would break God's heart more than for us to ignore this relationship or to avoid this relationship that we've been given. He desires us to come to him as a father, as our dad, as an adopted father, as a son and daughter who he chose. He chose to rescue. He chose to sought after. And he wants us to enjoy a relationship with him. And quite frankly, guys, it's the relationship we were created for. It's eternal life. And so let's immerse ourselves into eternal life. Amen? Amen. Guys, here's our homework for this week. And mosquitoes are gone, hopefully. Some tough ones if they're still there. Um, But I want you to to go out and I want you to find a night where it's a clear sky. Good luck with that. And uh, where the stars are out, okay? And I want you to go somewhere where it's dark. Lay out a blanket. And I want you to just lay under the stars and just gaze at the night sky. Um, guys, nothing will, nothing will overwhelm you more than gazing at the night sky and the immensity of it. It's just it's beyond awesome. And w- when you've been out there for a while, um, with a flashlight or on your phone, read slowly and meditatively through Psalm 8. And the reason I want you to read through Psalm 8 is because I believe that David was doing that very thing when he wrote Psalm 8. You can tell he's out in the night sky looking at the night sky. And so I want you to read through it slowly and meditatively, just soaking up. Do it with the Father, with the Son. Then I want you to spend a good portion of time talking to the Creator. But understanding that He's your dad. The dad who adopted you, who chose you, who rescued you. And pour out your heart to Him, laying on that blanket under the night sky that He created. It'll be a precious time, I promise you. Okay, let's do our homework. All right, guys, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you did choose us. You, you sought out, sought after us. You wanted us. And so therefore, you adopted us. 
And God, it's just crazy to me that you had given us the inheritance. The inheritance that you've given Jesus. We're co-heirs with Christ. It's just it's beyond staggering to me. God, you, you went through all of this so that we could experience eternal life. So I pray that we might not waste it. That we might truly engage in it. That we might truly get to know you, Father, and Jesus, the Son. God bless my brothers and sisters as they walk out of here today. May they experience your presence day in and day out. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Guys, love you so very, very much. Have an amazing week this week. We'll see you next Sunday.